You're listening to the Water in Real Life podcast, the podcast for people who want to become better leaders by becoming better communicators. Why? Because those who tell the stories rule the world. We're your hosts, the H2 duo, Stephanie Corso and Ariane Shipley. So without further ado, let's get to the show. Well, y'all, I feel as if my next guest here is my partner in crime for presentations. I just feel like we've been we've been on panels or maybe we I've just watched her on panels a lot lately, but I feel like we're 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 on the conference circuit together. But as government affairs manager at Central Arkansas Water, the state's largest drinking water utility serving half a million people. Chelsea Boozer works with government community and wholesale partners and stakeholders on policy, economic development, and regionalism efforts. She also serves as AWWA's Young Professionals Committee and as the YP liaison to the AWWA Water Utility Council. So Chelsea, what's going on in Arkansas today? Hi. So, you know, it does feel so natural just to be talking to you because we do just find ourselves wind up in the same room, in the same conversation, whether it's on stage or maybe around happy hours. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, well, I know that this is not our first rodeo together, but I couldn't remember if I'd asked you this question before. And this is, this is a listener favorite, a fan favorite question that we ask everyone, but did you choose water or did water choose you? So I do listen (laughs) to your podcast and I do love this question. Because I always get curious when people say that water chose them, what they mean by that. Um, And I have answered this before, but I think I've changed my answer. So I'll say that I did initially choose water. So I was looking to get out of journalism and get in corporate communications. And I just had a relationship with Central Arkansas Water. I knew it was a company that held my values that I'd want to work for. But I think progressively over time, I would like to say that water chose me back. (laughs) Good. It's mutually. So as... Yeah, so I would like to think that anyway. It hasn't told me any different. But, you know, as I built a passion, like, for the purpose of water and, and what we do in this industry, um, you know, I can do corporate communications yeah. anywhere. So that's how I got my foot in the door. But it's definitely why I stay. Well, I love that you talked about how the values of Central Arkansas Water aligned with your values because uh, what what generation are you again, Chelsea? <laughs> I am a millennial and I would sometimes I feel like when I say that I need to preface it with like I so know many, right yeah like whatever misconceptions or preconceptions you have about that like let me address right. them real quick. um well yeah no apology needed in this case I'm on the cusp of uh of millennial and and gen x but I definitely feel more of the millennial vibe than I do of the other. There are some things uh, about the Gen X generation that I feel, but I'm on the cusp. So I claim, generally I claim, and I guess it depends what, whose definition that you look at, because sometimes I'm fully a millennial, sometimes on the cusp. But uh, I love that you talked about the values alignment because that was... You know, there's a term for you, by the way. You're an ex-millennial. okay. Ex- Exenial. Yeah, it's a All new right. thing. Y'all are making your own like of course little boy. So. I mean, yeah. yeah. Don't give us a label. We'll we'll give ourselves one. So um, but yep. I love the values alignment piece because I think that was definitely something that came through in what I wanted to talk to you about first was I uh I got to see at the UMC in Atlanta in 2021 and then at the utilities management conference in 2022 that was in Orlando recently. You, uh, with several of your YP compatriots, and I'll, I'll let you talk about that in a little bit. Y'all both facilitated these, or all of y'all facilitated these panels that happened. And I'll have to say, like, I, of course, I'm in water. I've been to a number of panel discussions. And so I didn't, I don't know that I was even thinking about what to expect when I went to go see this one. I was going to support y'all and to listen to what you, to what y'all had to say, but, um, it was, it was a different panel experience than I've ever had before. And so before we get into that though, um, I'm going to let you set the stage for us because you were a part of that. Uh, cause I know that we both have a lot to say about that forum. So tell us about the panel, 
who was on it. And for everyone out there who's going to have FOMO after hearing us talk about these panels, let them know where they can find the article that's now out about it and the session. Yeah. One, I love that feedback and that excitement that's been happening after we've uh, had these panels. And so I hope we're going to see more of that format, which we can talk about in a minute. But so what they were, um, they kind of were titled YP, Young Professional Perspectives. And the first one was subtitled, What Do YPs Want Anyway? And it kind of like purposely had a little bit of the attitude with it because um, that's kind of how sometimes millennials are seen. And so we thought it would be funny, but a way to get people in the door. And then the second one was subtitled, um, Meeting the Needs of a Multi-Generational Workforce. And so um, it was GM from CDN Smith. Uh, she was moderating. And then we had, uh, the first time it was four utility um, YP managers or, or leaders. And the second time it was three. But Mark Tyler, Tyler of um, Middlesex Water and then Nick Rossi was in the first one at the time. He's with Aqua, and now he's with Tidium Smith. And then Jaquise Boyd from um, Birmingham. And so then me from Central Arkansas Water. And so we, we wanted to create a space to start a conversation. And as you said, that's not normally, you know, it's a presentation, and here's what I'm going to speak to you about. And so we spent a lot of time in being intentional on the setup and, and how the room was set up. To really have a conversation about the fact is we have four generations in the workforce and this is the first time we've ever had four generations and meaningful numbers yeah. working together and so that creates certain challenges or certain communication <laughs> barriers uh, if we're not talking about it and uh, like you were talking about the, the values so with the great resignation right now after the pandemic and it's kind of been returned um the great revaluation. So, yeah, so these national surveys have said 75% of workers now have higher expectations for their from their employer because they've through the pandemic their work has changed. They've had time yeah. to think about this. And so, while money and pay is important, 3 out of 5 workers take a job based on the company's values aligning. And so, what you know, I won't go too much into it. You can read the article in Journal AWWA, the April April 2022 edition, and it kind of gives the highlights um, of it. But we just wanted to talk about those misconceptions. Um, one of them being, you know, millennials. Oh, you ask too many questions, uh, yeah. and you're you're just you feel entitled. And you know, we know Simon Sinek says you can do what you do better when you understand why mm -hmm. you're doing it. And so one of the conversations we started around that is like young professionals, when they ask questions, we just want to know why we want to be involved. We want to understand our role in the bigger picture. Um, so it was, they were um, great conversation starters, yeah. I think. And, you know, we set it up really where the, audience could talk with us throughout instead of us talking to yeah, the audience. So that specific um, dialogue that happened was one of my biggest takeaways from the initial conversation in Atlanta. But before I get into that, the biggest overall takeaway for me was the candid, honest, open, vulnerable dialogue that happened during those sessions between the people, all of y'all on stage, and then as well as the, the folks out in the audiences. And like you said, a lot of times at conferences, it's just presentation after presentation after presentation. And even most panel presentations end up feeling like another presentation. Um, you know, maybe a few general questions, but rarely do we actually see conversation and dialogue happening, which I think is essential to to people seeing things differently than they may have or to think about something a little differently. Uh, I guess before I get into, like I said, that that dialogue that you just touched on was was one of my favorite pieces. So I'm going to put a pin on that for myself. But what do you think made that possible, that dialogue piece possible during the YP panel? Yeah, so for us, it was really intentional. And the behind the scenes work that you don't see, you know, it didn't just naturally happen. We spent hours talking about this over lunch, over Zoom calls, happy hours. Um, so I think it was a couple things. One is that we came in there not thinking of ourselves as mm. the experts and knowing your goal and our expectations and um, communicating that to audiences. One 
We don't speak for YPs. We don't have all the solutions. But our goal today is to have a conversation and hear your input and learn from one another. So I think being intentional about setting that out was important. I think also the four of us or five of us in the first time, um, actually through this, we didn't all know each other before the first panel, but through connecting and planning, uh, we really respected mm. each other and valued each other, trusted each other. Um, so I think that genuineness really came forth because we didn't agree on a lot of the things we were yeah. talking about, but we did respect each other's experiences and viewpoints. Um, and I think that just made it very natural to talk yeah. on stage or, you know, in front of the group. Uh, there were two others. Um, well, no, I said those two. The, the other one. So this was really cool. I'd never seen this done. And this was all GM from CDM Smith's idea. She was mm. moderating. And she said, you know, sometimes this, a lot of people have viewpoints maybe they don't want to share or they don't want to be judged about this particular topic and other topics. And if we really want to start a conversation, we have to make this a safe yeah. space. But how do you do that? And so she let people live text her questions during the entire one and a half hour yeah. session. Um, we brainstormed like how that would go. No one's going to do that. Her phone was yeah. blowing up. It was so cool. Yeah. And so it, it did a lot of things. It allowed one, you had anonymity, made it a safe space to talk about something. Two, it allowed more questions to come in because they could ask their question while mm -hmm. we were talking. So you didn't have to wait. And then three, she could filter questions and see, okay, five came in on this topic. So clearly the group would like to talk about this. So I think that really um, was crucial in letting the audience be a part of the conversation and drive the yeah. conversation. So we, that first time we didn't even get to how we planned the structure to be because we let the audience steer us yeah. somewhere else. Oh my gosh. That's uh and me having been in the audience, I, you know, I feel I live behind the scenes stuff. So I feel like uh, I'm getting I'm getting a taste of that, too. But uh, I love that you talked about the amount of work that goes into making one of these things very successful. And it makes me think about this book I'm obsessed with, have been obsessed with called The Art of Gathering by Priya Parker, where you can really look at any time you're bringing people together and find ways to make it more meaningful, like more purposeful. And, you know, the fact that y'all did spend so much time, especially together as a group, thinking through what it was going to look like and even brainstorming some of those things, I think really speaks to why you created a space where people did feel comfortable to share. And uh, I thought the texting thing was I'm trying to think of what I thought when G first said that. And I, I bet I did think, oh, no one's going to text her. Cause you just like, if you don't get questions yep. at the end of something, you just assume that no one's like, what difference does it make if it's a text? But then, um, mm -hmm. yeah, I think that not only the anonymity piece of it, but I also think that the anonymity of the first question that kind of broke the, broke the, bubble of tension in the room. And I felt like yeah. that, that in itself is what created the space that then let someone else who like to raise a hand, you know, whereas before it was like, Oh God, I don't want to ask that. Um, and then like encouraging, encouraging someone to either, either raise a hand and ask a similar question or share their own experience with it. And so that I think was, was really cool to see. And one of the examples of when I saw that going back to your, I, it was you who had, I think, initially started the thread of millennials ask questions. Like we're not trying to be know-it-alls that we're just really interested in learning and like understanding. And it was actually a gentleman of a more seasoned generation who said, cool, but just tell us that, you know, like lead with the context of I'm not trying to sound like an, you know, I'm not trying to sound like a know-it-all. Maybe that's not the way you preface it, but I'm not trying to like question what's happening here. I'm just really interested in learning what's going on in the process. And that all of a sudden just having that little piece of context and you've totally changed the dynamic of the question and what's happening and becomes an experience where you can learn together. 
it's crazy to me that you picked that one out because that was my biggest takeaway from the first one. And I wish I knew, I can yeah. see the man. I wish I knew his name and where he's from because, and I wish I could go back and tell him because he actually influenced the article. So we put that in the article. Um, and that's just a big communication yeah. piece, right? Explaining your intent, understanding each other's intent, because we were just being each those two parties in this in this case we're talking about two generations were perceiving each yep. other wrongly. They weren't intending what the other was perceiving. Um, so that was one of my biggest takeaways too. And then y- your idea or perspective or how you viewed how the text might work, opening yeah. it up. That I hadn't thought of that, but I yeah, it's kind of like they said. You know, after the first uh, anonymous question in the text, they're like, oh, we really are going there. Like, I can't ask that. We are going deep, which I think is one of the things when we talk about conference sessions. I don't know if it's an unspoken, like, professional rule and, you know, maybe we're moving to be our more authentic selves, you know, as the generations go on. But it's almost like, hey, go up there, talk about the good things, but don't get too nitty gritty, like. Make sure it stays professional. And um, so, yeah, I think the the whole idea of being vulnerable to talk about these topics, it's hard. um, But that's a key point, I think, to make it happen. I I don't know why that this didn't dawn on me before, but uh, going back to the texting, the question thing, but just thinking about how some of these things can influence the way people look at just conferences at large and how we kind of rethink looking at them as more of an experience for people versus just something that you sign up for and attend and that, oh yeah, 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 sure. I go to some of the sessions, but everybody goes to network, whether it's businesses trying to network with utilities or utilities just networking with another with each other. It's the human component of it. And I just imagine yep. how much more engaging we could make those if we took that perspective. But um, going to the idea of asking the questions is, so I just came back from a situation where I was giving keynotes and uh, I depend upon, I depend a lot upon feedback from the audience. Like that's how I know, that's how I gauge how did this land? Is this going okay? Yeah. And these were really quiet rooms, which was very challenging for, for me to know and to gauge. But then I had people come up to me afterwards, quietly, separately, and say, thank you for saying that, or keep on saying that, or I agree, or that was inspiring, or what should I do? Like, this is my situation. And I'm sitting here listening to you talk about this, like right now in this moment. And I'm thinking what if I had shared my number with them while I was talking and they could have felt more comfortable to ask me those questions from a, from a place of anonymity because like, and and the thing is, it's because going to the seeing different perspective, it's not scary for me to talk about these things. It's not, I mean, that's not fully true. Like I, I do it because it's important, but to me, these are conversations that need to happen. Whereas I know that for most people in the room, a lot of people haven't even really accepted that communication is as critical as it is to the work that we do. And so I need, as a presenter, need to give, I need to do what y'all did. And I need to say like, hey, it's safe for you to talk to me about this, (laughs) y'all. I think, you know, I've got a lot of thoughts about what you said. One, you've, become comfortable being yes. uncomfortable so I know with me I like to talk to people and I like to network and I talk a lot and so people think that I just naturally and I speak a lot right too or write articles and they think that that's yeah. easy for me and it's not um you know I have to like a little routine every time but I just put myself in those uncomfortable situations mm-hmm. like you do because you know it's important and because you want to affect change or so whatever your purpose is I think that I hope we try this live texting more. hope other people do it. I'm about to um, actually do it at my water conference. And when I was on the pre-planning call, I'm the moderator this time, and I have a panelist of utility executives. And they looked at me like, Chelsea, nobody in that room, they're going to be older, they can't text. I said, my 82-year-old <laughs> grandma can text. <laughs> and I was like, let's just try it. If it doesn't work, yeah. it doesn't work. Um, but I think that's part of the thing, too, about, 
by you sharing those stories, whatever you shared in that keynote, or I know there's been times, even in the sessions we're talking about, but pretty much it happens in every session. I either make a joke that <laughs> flops or I misread the audience because I thought so-and-so raised his hand and he was not. And, um, you know, and but I just try to be comfortable in the moment being vulnerable mm-hmm. like that in hopes that like the people who came up to you afterwards, sure, not that time did they speak out loud or ask a question out loud, but maybe it shows them that yeah. it's okay. So the more of us who do yeah. who do this, um, I think the live texting thing, it might have been a little hard for you yeah, as a speaker to sure. also be reading. And so that's what I mean. You know, we think we call these soft skills, communication and vulnerability. These are, I saw an article, I wish I could credit the author. Um, she called them powerful. Oh, I'm writing it down. They're <laughs> crucial. Yeah. And Google it too, because it was good. Okay, I got it yeah, saved send me that. Could, but she, So she called it power tools. And th- why we know these are important to every job, right? And so why are we not training mm-hmm. on this? Why are we not spending more time on that? But co- with that comes the resources needed. So maybe, you know, if we're going to keynote next time, maybe I have to, pay for my other staffer to come with me and, and handle the live texting. But if we think these conversations are important, then we'll put more resources yeah. into that. Uh, yes. Yeah. No, you're right. There's no way that I could have kept my flow and rhythm and also been like, wait, hold on, let me check my text. Difficult. Yeah. So definitely having some support there, but, um, oh, you just said something that made me, um, uh, oh, so we, I, I feel like we've been, a lot of these things could go towards folks who are, um, well, I don't know what I'm trying to say. What am I trying to say here? When you were talking, it also made me think about the people like us who are putting ourselves out there. And an important lesson for me, like I said, is that typically my gauge is feedback from the audience. And so just this crushing sense of like, oh my gosh, did I just totally bomb this? Was having the people come up to me and talk to me afterward was a reinforcement and a reminder of how absolutely important the whispers are. The people that are, um, I mean, my mission is to revolutionize the water industry through communication and storytelling and revolutions start with whispers. And it was like a really strong reminder to me of, Stephanie, it's not always about getting the room to laugh sometimes it's about like those handful of people who needed to hear what you said and needed to feel like they weren't alone in feeling this way. And so I know for anyone else out there listening, who's, who's like me and gets really nervous when they feel like they've somehow misread the room or something that those whispers are as equally as powerful as the joke that lands and they forget about 10 seconds later, actually probably more powerful. (laughs) Yeah. And because, you know, each person that walked away, who did they go talk to that about? Or, you know, I, it reminded me of thought I've had once in, I think about powerful speakers or even just everyday people who have really influenced my life, like the man in the session who I don't know. And I've never told them. They don't know that they did that. And so, you know, how many people left that room, maybe even did not come speak to you afterwards, but got a different perspective or feel empowered now to go and change. So, but yeah, reminding ourselves of that is, it's easy to preach, preach it, but it's hard to do. Yeah. So that's like a good segue into, you brought up the last time we talked, I had posted something on Instagram. It was a quote by Aristotle and it said, there's only one way to avoid criticism do nothing, say nothing and be nothing. And you touched on already as speakers, presenters, people putting ourselves out there with our thoughts and ideas, we have to be willing to be vulnerable and a little uncomfortable to give others the permission to do the same. And so we've been talking about that in the context of speaking and presenting, but the same applies for, for leadership in general or putting yourself out there in any capacity to speak up for a different way of doing things or thinking about things. Uh, so kind of share with me your thoughts on that or your experience with that as you've been stepping out into the world more boldly and broadly. Yeah. Yeah. I, when I saw that, I just felt that quote so much. And so I immediately screenshot it. And what's funny, I haven't told you this, but 
I because I want to post it like on LinkedIn or Facebook or I, I don't know where. And I had this long post written of all my thoughts, but there are too many <laughs> thoughts right now. Um, and so I was reflecting on it. And I was like, wow, this, I guess it's just maybe the moment I'm in in life right now. And so in the past two years, I've gotten divorced and I've gotten a promotion and kind of changed my, uh, you know, same career in the water industry, but a different path. And I've grown so much and um, had a lot of opportunities as well, gotten to experience a lot, uh, personal and professional development. And so there have been moments where I'm like, yeah, Chelsea, you're winning and I'm hyping myself up. I'm just feeling Mm -hmm. really good because like growth is hard, right? But it's also like you feel accomplished. And that's when, you know, people come out with their unsolicited advice or opinions on um, this or that, for example, I've been jumping out of planes here a lot lately <laughs> with um, a certified instructor. Oh, you're not back. a metaphor. You really have been jumping out of planes. <laughs> really been jumping out of planes. I was like, cool. What's this going to be a metaphor for? <laughs> no, I'm so bad at metaphor. No, it's just skydiving. Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> and see, whatever your thoughts, everyone's like, has Chelsea lost it? Like, what's going on? I'm like, no, guys, yeah. this is fun. Like, I'm just being free or, you know, that can relate, you know, back into work, just signing up to, or someone asked me, Hey, will you present with me on this? Or will you talk about this? And like the YP perspective, my boss did not tell me this, but I'm sure he thought like, what is Chelsea about to go say for an hour and a half to a room of like 300 water utility officials? Um, But so in thinking about that, I've gotten frustrated and I've thought, man, they just don't have the whole story. Um, so I've gotten my grad degree over the past two years too. And, um, that's kept me really busy and less responsive sometimes to, to friend groups. And I'm like, man, they just don't have the perspective. They don't have all the facts to form an accurate opinion. And it reminded me of the four agreements. Ooh, so I don't know. Have you I read it? I just bought it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm excited. Because when you said Art of Gathering, I had FOMO. That's been recommended to me so many times. Um, so four agreements. My biggest, I recommend Yay. it all the time. I discovered it two years ago. I've read it like six times. I'm going to try to read it every year. And I don't say this lightly. It literally changed nice. my life. And so um, one of the parts is don't take things personally. And we've heard that before, but it goes kind of deeper into it. And uh, it just really enlightened me so much that, everybody's perspective is based on their experiences in life and agreements they've made with themselves, which is basically what you choose to believe mm-hmm. or not. Mm. So you could come to this, you know, podcast and I'm like, Stephanie has that necklace on with her black shirt and that gold necklace doesn't match the black shirt. And I'm going to walk away thinking like, that's the worst fashion mistake ever. Burn. When really, <laughs> <laughs> I wear gold and black all the time, but, but if I had that agreement in my head that gold and black yeah. didn't match, and then I just left thinking like, wow, she really doesn't know fashion. It's not true that you don't know fashion. It's my perspective. And that's a, you know, a very dumbed down yeah. example, but the more, gosh, I think about that every uh. single day. And so seeing the Aristotle quote and just realizing, you know what, I can do nothing and be criticized or do something and be yes. criticized. So I'd rather do yes. something. Um, oh, I'm, well, I have a funny story about that book. Um, (laughs) I, I didn't read the Amazon description appropriately and I somehow ended up with the like very tiny, um, like the pocket version. Yeah, I have it. But, and so I was like, no, I, I wanted the whole book. So I'm going to have to get the whole book now and then I'll also have the pocket version. But I just like opened up this box and then this tiny little book in there. And I was like, what is happening? Um, and for anyone listening, it's like six bucks on Amazon. Like at minimal, just read it and tell yeah. me I'm wrong. I mean, at yeah. minimal, there's not much. To I, there. yes, I'm so excited to read that book and I've seen it. I've seen it so many, the universe has definitely been telling me that I need to read that book. And now it's like banging it on my head that I need to, I um, love it. but yeah, like everything that you're talking about is also so closely tied to emotional intelligence and, So one of the things that I talked about in the last keynote I gave, and it was a room to, I mean, I I assume that there were zero communicators in this room and, or anyone who really does that work uh, at 
at that level. And so basically talking to engineers and operators and my call to action was that we all, all, we're not going to solve any of the problems that we have in the sector if every single one of us doesn't accept and embrace that to some degree, communication is a part of our job, is a part of our responsibility. And what I meant in that is I said, does that mean that I expect you to go get your PR certification or to, I don't know, like learn how to do a content calendar, whatever. No, I don't need you to get into the tactical pieces of communication or understand digital strategy. But what I do need every single person to do is invest in their exactly what you were talking about, emotional intelligence, getting the basics of it, understanding the basic neuroscience of the brain and why it works and why people, how it works, I mean, and why people respond and react to certain things. And there's a lot of that baseline stuff in risk communication work. And just, I just need y'all to have a baseline so that I, it's like, I need to know when I go into a situation that, you know, at least the ABCs, you know, so that we can like, yeah. be somewhat talking on the same page. And then I think just that core, those, that core understanding will help even further the conversation around the value of communication to the sector. And so I challenge people to go to a session or a conference that you wouldn't normally go to because you can't get CEUs for it. There's like so many other things we need to learn to be well-rounded professionals than just something that we can get a CEU for it. And I think there needs to be a movement towards that mindset in the sector. There's more to professional development than just CEUs. <laughs> yeah. And I think that goes back to like calling it soft skills instead of power yes. tools. This is crucial for every single yes. job we do. And so I know you've talked before about the title of communication and then communication yeah. as a tool and those get mixed up when, when we are communicating yeah. communication <laughs> uh, because people hear one and they think, I know internally, at least we have a whole communications department. And so when we talk about communication to our workforce, I know some directors, their head goes off and they're like, well, that's yep. that area. No, this is every supervisor, coworker to coworker. And as a society, we already know communication is important. We say, you know, it's the key to a relationship. We say, you know, it's the biggest um, negative sometimes in the workplace if, if it doesn't go right, if upper management and, and the workforce aren't communicating or department department. But then we, like you said, we don't send you to conferences. We don't provide you, you know, professional development training session on it. And it really spoke to me when you said, if everybody could just have a base level of understanding and we could just be on the same page, because sometimes I was in comms and so I've gotten access a little bit to, to conversations like this, but it was really through my graduate program in public administration mm. at Syracuse through our leadership courses. And we talk so much about corporate social responsibility and emotional intelligence and all of these things. And I left those courses one feeling like a therapy session. <laughs> always yes <laughs> but two thinking gosh I almost feel guilty for like knowing this like if if I could just snap my fingers and everybody would know this imagine like how we could work together and collaborate and the problems yeah. we could solve it's just um, like it's it's cross training I mean hello we understand the value of that in in other places but when I'm going to go, when I'm going to communicate, if my job is to communicate about what the utility is doing, and I, I think about my day one in the industry when I knew zero zip nada about water and how it worked, I learned by going out there in the field and, and seeing yeah. and watching and asking questions and being curious and interested. And I didn't go to school for that. That's well. Technically I did, but I mean, that's, I, but I learned my lessons came from being out there with the field ops guys. And that's what I mean, where you also have to have, it's your response. And that was my responsibility. And it's your responsibility. You non, whatever engineers, operators, y'all, it's mm -hmm. your responsibility to also understand that for us, because you do play a role in that. You are out in the field where people can see you. You are answering the phone. You are talking to people. You are talking to counsel at public meetings. People do know who you work for, you know, like 
it's a responsibility. Just, just how we said too that when you were giving a keynote and someone walked away having an impression of you, the the field people and customer service representatives they talk to more customers than your communication yeah, staff do, and that's how your company is perceived. And so. Yeah, I really like the cross training. I think I'm going to use that <laughs> to try to sell this more because that's something everybody yeah. can understand. Yeah. And then another thought I had when you were talking about that, and I'm not going to go off on a tangent on this, but us as a as an industry though have kind of set up when we just didn't focus on yeah. communications because we thought don't want to be on the front page of the paper. I don't want the you know the public to know about me or what I'm doing or anything. And now we understand, hopefully we're slowly understanding that education and engagement of our customers is crucial. Um, but even when, we, when we've when we gotten there and maybe we have a communications person or a communications department, a lot of times we say, well, I talk to customers and I talk to the media and you stay over there. But our subject matter experts are the ones who understand and can relate yeah. to people. So if we do more of that cross-training, that can only help us get messages across yeah, better. For sure. Um, damn it. Sorry, I went down that, that that road, but I just it made me think about that that we've got to stop saying that our engineer can't talk to the yeah. reporter. I mean, prepare them. them. Train them, you know? Yeah. Uh I've seen I've yeah, I think that somehow when we say that there's this expectation of that we expect you to be seasoned professionals and be able to like host your own news broadcast or something. No, I'm just, I'm going to teach you the skills that you need not to react out of your emotions and to speak to make sure that you clearly speak to the points that, that you need to, that you need to present um, as a subject matter expert. But I think one, one place too, where I see, and I have my own opinions about why I think that this is, but um, I think that, a lot of times when we hire folks to do communication work, we look at ourselves more. Something gets lost in that we approach what we do more as a, as a news outlet, as a newsroom, than we do as a community, as a member of the community, as a member of, as a guardian of public health. Like we're just like, this is what we're doing. Maybe we have our comments on, maybe we don't, but we just look at communications as tell, 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 tell. And yeah. we are like hide behind our desks with our social media content calendars. And I'm like, y'all, that's not how we build trust. That's not how people know who we are. We have to get out there. And yeah, you're going to hear a lot of mumbling and grumbling when you make your field ops guys do a booth with you at something. But that changes someone's perspective when yeah. you're not talking about a stupid... Sorry. <laughs> sorry for all our infrastructure fans. You're not talking about a stupid pipe out in the ground anymore. You're talking about... Insert a name... Bob, who is the one that was out there on the road during that break in the 14 degree uh, temperatures when cars were flying by, not slowing down, spraying water on him. I can guarantee you that when they have gotten to have a conversation with quote unquote Bob, the next time they see those guys out there in that hole, they may slow down, you know? <laughs> I'm like, wow, exactly. Yeah. We got to yeah. get out and we have to be talking to people and we have to be where the community's at, go where they're already at. Like we are not going to make people trust us by having a beautifully designed website and social media and I don't know, all of the digital solutions. Preach. Like we're not. <laughs> yeah. You know, and you're really talking about the engagement piece that I, I think has just been missing in communications. I won't go on. I have some ideas of why this has become too, but, um, yeah, that engagement piece, because it, I think it takes a willingness. It, we can't just say we want to engage with the community and solicit mm -hmm. their input. We have to mm -hmm. really want that. It's not easy either. And that takes vulnerability. Yep. That takes meeting them where they are and um, knowing that you've got to put the time in that they might not fully understand everything you're proposing in a project. So that's 
might take a lot of time to sit down and answer the questions and explain it because they don't work in engineering and water yeah. every day. No one thinks about water. Um, so anyway, yeah, good thoughts. I And that also comes down to take internally to your culture, like talking about the great resignation, talking about the silver tsunami, talking about all the workforce challenges. And I hear people like, well, maybe if we promoted the innovative work that we're doing, people would want to work for, for us. Or maybe if we talked about our our benefits and our whatever, then people will want to work. Okay, so maybe that's on a checklist, but people stay someplace and are passionate and engaged about where they work because of the mission, the vision, the values, the culture of where they work. And I have a buddy of mine who has worked his way up from field ops into management position. And he was able to do that because he was so passionate about his people. He makes sure that his people know that he will fight for them, that he cares for them, that he's working for them. And he has created a culture where, yeah, sure, you could go to city XYZ next door, but you're probably going to feel like they don't give a shit about you and that you're replaceable, which I mean, we all are, but it's nice to feel like. I'm so glad you brought that up because I forgot to say when we were talking about these sessions, this was actually one of the main purposes. Um, everybody asked, utility managers asked, you know, what does the workforce want? What we can do for retention? Because we know that there's 1.7 million water workers approximately. That's a little bit old data. So maybe more, maybe less. And in the next 10 years, about a third of those are, are going to be retirement el- yep. eligible. So if we're not figuring this out um, now, we're going to be really stuck. And so um, some of what came out of these conversations that we started around this, um, some of the, I wish I had it in front of me. I had five highlight takeaways, but it, we, we couched it as what YPs want. We were talking from our perspective, but really it's what mm-hmm. any worker wants. This is not, everyone wants these same things, but one was to feel valued. So recognized, empowered. Um, so give me, and, and empowered doesn't mean just give me opportunities that I don't work yeah. hard for. It means give me opportunities, but also stretch projects, challenge me. Like when my boss challenges me, I kind of leave like with this idea that, man, he thinks I can do yeah. that. Like, let me go work hard to prove that. And that creates like a sense of loyalty. Um, and then purpose. And right now with the great resignation or reevaluation, whatever you want to call it, and everyone's saying, I want purpose in my, in my work. What better industry than the water industry yep. to do that? Like we are so prepared to cater to that and to attract people right now. So at one of the conferences last year, one of the, the big conferences, the opening keynote had a question and it said uh, something about um, how do... It, it was something about getting like top quality candidates. Like, why don't they want to work for you or something like that? And I was like, why don't we flip that around and say, are we the best place for the top yeah. quality candidates? Yes. So maybe we're not. <laughs> yeah. It, like maybe they're not coming to us because they're lazy. Maybe they're not coming to us because we're not showing we're the best work environment yeah. for them. And so one, let's be that. And then two, let's show that. And I just think our industry is really equipped to do that. Like we're not at a loss. We just need to make some changes. Yeah. And I mean, I it. just made a post today and and this will be my last thing because y'all, me and Chelsea could just go down so many rabbit holes with y'all right now. Um, they'll, I'm sure they'll have to be a part two at some point. But um, to your point where flip that around and make it about I think we we're always so quick to point the finger and we're always so quick to be like, Oh, if they only understood, if they only cared, if they only knew if yada, 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 if they, 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 but you have to, we are not going to change anyone or anything until we are committed to changing ourselves. And so that's what my post was about is that, um, well, the initial post was that sometimes, most times the truth is hard to hear. We want to argue, defend, protect, because of our lizard brains, our amygdala, fight, flight, freeze, faint. If we want to create solutions, we have to pause, listen, understand, collaborate, compromise. Also not easy, but I totally feel like we can do it. And so I talked about how mindfulness helps you react to what's happening in your body before you react outwardly. Another skill that I think everyone needs to work on. Self-awareness and self-regulation are essential to emotional intelligence, which is key to effective communication. 
Again, not easy work, not soft skills. And the work begins at the individual level. Gandhi, y'all, be the change. (laughs) So it's not a cliche and it's a truth. And we can't hope to change others if we're unwilling to change ourselves. And I think you just, your reframing of that question is a perfect example of that. I I know you're the person that's supposed to ask the question. Okay. (laughs) Um, You know, when I think about that, some of the words you use, a year ago, two years ago, I would have read self-awareness and emotional intelligence and thought these were just words that you use and that I understood them. But now that I've studied those and I understand they're more of like terms and there's actual like studying involved and I have some growing to do to learn about those. Um, what would be, you know, for people listening and they, they want to do that individual work and put the work in, um, do you have any recommendation like where to start? Um it's kind of putting you on the spot. I, for me, I'll answer while, while you're thinking. It's, I, I just read more about it, so I don't know a particular author, and I don't know if you do. So. Uh, I would say that the real the real digging for me began by being introduced to Brene Brown's work. Um, and her work is primarily mm-hmm. focused on uh, shame and vulnerability. I know I saw that in the background, but um, it, those are the two emotions that so deeply affect us as human beings. And those are the, those are the gateway emotions for me to get into the nuts and bolts of the others. And she just did, um, God, there, this is a bit, such a big question. I think that we'll have to do know, one sorry, that just fully on this, but if you have HBO, she just dropped the first season of this special that, um, she wrote a book called Atlas of the Heart. And, um, for anyone, I hear people's eyes rolling, like don't hate, check it out. But she did a five episode season one on HBO max about, about emotions and why it's so important that we learn all, not all of them, but yeah, so that we learn, we learn about them so that we can label them correctly. Because if we don't, we respond and react to the wrong thing. And it's like, it doesn't heal right. And like the thing that no. she asked is they surveyed all of these people and said, list out the, the emotions that you feel in a given day. And it was happy, mad, sad. And there are so many different layers of those and so many different ways to like work through each of those beyond just those three. And uh, it was just, yes, start with Brene Brown. The book that I read first was Daring Greatly, but I know you've got Dare to Lead up there. Um, but to your point about leadership, I don't care how old you are. And my buddy who I said had worked his way up, I think he's younger than me. I, I think I'm pretty sure he's younger. Than, I'm 41. I have to think that he's in his late 30s, I think. But in a management role, leadership preparation happens way too late. I don't care if you're 21 or 61 right now. If you haven't started, start today. Like it is the best investment you can make in yourself. So one of the things like as I've been growing in this field and and getting some of this like tidbits and information like Brene Brown being one of them, I'm like, why did I never know that? And so I, my son is almost five years old and I've been keeping a book for him that I'm going to give him when he's 18, even though it could start earlier. And I just keep dreaming about like, wow, how set up is he going to be from like knowing this early? And I know he's not going to receive all of it because you receive things based on your experiences, but yeah. So you're right. We we need to start talking about these things more and then preparing people at all levels instead of saying you have this in your title or you're at this level. Now you deserve professional development. Yeah. It's like, that's not how it should be. Our field, our field operators, our field ops guys, our field operators and gals. I know there's gals out there too. I mean, they need to be as equally prepared as everyone else. They're, they are worth yeah. the same level of investment as, you know, the people get, the, get sent to the bougie leadership summits and such. So, <laughs> um, For sure. All right. So uh, I know that we're both go, go, go. And like I said, we could talk for, you know, the next three hours and we'll, we'll have a part two at some point in some way, but I just wanted to ask uh, this last question. It's one of my favorite questions to ask us. And it's because like, I've had people tell me that, well, I'm just one person. What difference does it make if I make a change? And I don't agree with that at all. I think that your change can inspire others to change in, in their own way or what's most meaningful to them. So I wanted to end with asking, 
what's the one call to action that you're most passionate about that you believe could ultimately change the world? Yeah, so I feel like this is such a big question that put a lot of pressure on me to say something that could like be quoted for the rest of my life and like I could be on inspirational like quotes on on someone's wall and I did it I wasn't prepared (laughs) for that and so I kind of cheated in my answer and what I want to say my call to action quite literally we already talked about this is for people to read the four agreements and that's because it impacted me so much and um, was so profound and enlightening to me and uh Don Miguel Lewis, the, the, the author, um, has more profound calls to actions for you in that book. There are four simple steps. And that would be, I, I think if anyone, everyone at least were exposed to that, whether they agreed with it or not, um, they, they would be enlightened and get something out well, of it. Well, I think our call to actions go hand to hand because, go hand in hand, because mine was to do something that is outside of what you normally would have done, but that can help build you, build up your your power tools, which I will forever call them now. So that's your call to action. If you didn't know where to start, Chelsea just gave you a great place to start. Check out some Brene Brown too. In the meantime, put it into action in your, in your life. And I, I tell you, man, like communication work, this kind of work, strengthening and learning how to use these power tools. It is not just going to make you a better water professional. It's going to make you a better parent, a better partner, a better spouse, a better human being. So Win, 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 yep. win, win, win. I don't know how many more wins I can have winning. winning. But as usual, I knew that you and I would would not have a hard time filling an hour. <laughs> so <laughs> to be continued. To be continued. I look forward to seeing you out again in the conference circuit. And I just want to say thank you for uh being a partner in, in comms with me out there. And uh so glad you made time today to chat. Well, thank you so much for having me. I always like to go rogue with Stephanie. So appreciate it. <laughs> Bye. See ya. We are so grateful for each and every one of you, all the members of our listening community. The Water in Real Life podcast is a Rogue Water Lab original. It's hosted by the H2 duo. That's us, Stephanie Corso and Ariane Shipley. It's produced by Rogue Water Lab, 12 Midnight, and Matt Black Sound. Sound design and music by Andre Black and Matt McNeil of Matt Black Sound. For more Water in Real Life, check out our YouTube channel and sign up for our lab notes. You can find both at roguewaterlab.org.